Yes, I'm sure you saw it on the screen. It's time for Children's Church, so and that means the adults stay here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> oh, it's good to be together this morning, uh, to worshiping God. The music has been wonderful, and uh, I'm honored whenever I'm asked to speak with you. Um, and it's good that uh, Pastor Andrew and can have a Sunday off, uh, or at least he's not preaching, let's put it that way. Um, he's had a busy week with the, the wedding yesterday and so on, so he asked me to preach this uh, passage this morning, a passage that, uh, well, I'm not sure I would naturally choose to preach about, but uh, here we are, I'm going to do the best I can. Some of you won't agree with me on, at some point or another, I'm pretty sure, and that's all right. You, that's totally all right. Apparently, Pastor Andrew's all right with that, too. So uh, that's the way things are going to go this morning. I hope that uh, the Lord can bless what we're doing. Now, I have one other note, and that is that I'm so nice of you that so many of you came to celebrate uh, my wife and I, uh, our anniversary, our 46th anniversary today. And my wife needs all the praise and the glory. The Lord does, but then comes her. And uh, 46 years, we're so thankful to God. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to get into the Word of God. I pray that we would uh, learn from it. Uh, Lord, I pray that the intended focus, the intended uh, force of it will be experienced this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would not be frightened, that we would be affirmed and encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you read certain parts of Revelation, you are startled at the God you meet there. I think that goes without saying. And uh, it's so different, some of the passages are, in, in Revelation, from the God we normally hear about. Uh, the, the gentle, loving, and benign images of God that we normally read and hear preached about. Things like how gracious God is, how loving God is, how long-suffering God is, and you could go on and on with these things, and they're all true, by the way. It's just that when we read passages about the wrath of God, we are puzzled. We are confused about the contrast. In 1999, Dave Ritchie became the new head coach and general manager of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. A lot of people thought when he was hired that they had hired the gentle giant. Uh, He was uh, a roly-poly man of uh, probably close to 60 years of age. Uh, He was prone to uh, quoting Bible scriptures, not always in context. And uh, uh, his wife would often come to the practices with cookies she had baked for the players. And they just uh, loved her maybe more than him. Uh, But the media in Montreal, where he used to coach before he came to Winnipeg, uh, said, you know, guys, uh, just so you know, there's another side to Dave Ritchie. And that we, as fans and the players, they they all discovered that very quickly, that uh, in the right occasion, at the right moment, uh, if needed, to be, he would morph into this tough-as-nails, curmudgeon type who often warned his players with this. Never, never mistake my meekness for weakness. And as we read Revelation, especially 14 through uh, 19, uh, it's like if we have found Dave Ritchie's twin. There's another side to God that we don't read about in Ephesians or, you know, the scriptures we love to read, John 3.16 and and so on. Um, There we're met with this person that is very different here in in these uh, chapters and the ones we're going to read in a second. We see a God that's very different than what we are uh, used to. There's another side to him. And quite frankly, if we're honest, it disturbs us. It it, it offends our sensitivities to hear words like wrath and anger and vengeance coming from 
or attributed to our God. So to show you what I mean, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter uh, 15. I'm going to be reading, uh, Pastor Andrew used part of this text uh, last week, but I'm going to be reading chapter 15 and 16. I'm reading the whole thing because uh, I think that it's important that we do that, that we read it fully together. And again, I would encourage uh, all of you uh, to not only use Bible apps, but also have a Bible. And, and I, because there's something about being able to read the Bible and see the context, have notes in the margins, uh, uh, say, uh, oh, pastor said this this morning, I don't agree with that. You know, you, 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 there's a richness of having a book. So, next Sunday, everybody bring your Bibles, ESV if you can. So, anyways, chapter 15. 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, that You, Lord God, the Almighty, True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the, on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl out on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who are, go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. <coughs> if someone could bring me that water that I had there at my desk, uh, at my uh, chair. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, 
that he may not go about, thank you, dear, 46 years. Now, where was I? Was I at the sixth bowl now? 19? 15. Aha. Uh-huh. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. After you read something like that, you're left with a question. What do we do with this other side of God? Before we get into this text, and I assure you we will not be here all day, Before we get into the text, I think it would be good to review what we have learned so far from the book of Revelation about God. Right in the first verse of Revelation, we are told that the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. What we learn in the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. He's the one, the loving Son of God that came and gave his life for us and died on the cross and and, and took upon himself the sin of the world and, and, and died, but then he rose on the third day and that he is now residing with the Father in heaven. Friends, don't ever forget what was done to Jesus when you read the book of Revelation. And never stop realizing how that offended God the Father, that Jesus had to suffer and die. There's something else we learn about God in these uh, chapters. God is very patient. Yes, he is very patient. I'll tell you why. Uh, He's very patient with the the constant disobedience of God's people that, or the people that he has created. And, And every time there is an opportunity for them to receive God and to believe in God and follow after God, they stubbornly resist to do so. They are not innocent. They have chosen not to follow after God and the wonderful wonderful provision that he has. Something else we learn in these chapters is that the suffering of God's people will not go unpunished. You know about persecution. You know it personally or you know of others in other parts of the world at other times of history. The Reformation, of course, the is one that comes to mind, but there are more modern, contemporary examples of believers who took the mark of Jesus and who'd suffered and tortured and died for their faith. Jesus knows that. It hurts him. It offends him. And we learn here about a God who is going to not leave those sins unpunished. And God will judge evil and he will prevail over all evil that is put up against him. There will not be a contest. At no time is God afraid. So now let's get into the text. There's other things I could say, but that's enough for now. Uh, one of my, the preachers I, I, I watch sometimes on YouTube, he had a sermon titled the other day. It wasn't on this text. 
which he said was, uh, the main things are the plain things. There's things here in these two chapters I cannot explain, and, and no one really understands fully. There are things here, uh, symbolic things, different things, some of which we think are symbols, some of which we think are, are more than symbols. Uh, we can't explain it all, but there are certain things that, that we can read this text and say, that it makes plain sense. That, uh, at least that we know happened here. That's what I want to deal with this morning. The first thing that we find here as we unwrap this other side of God is that God has a temper. Did you know that? God has a temper, and in this case, he is very angry. God can get angry. If you go to 15, and uh, starting in verse 7, and uh, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever, And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. And then one, verse 1 of 16 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, that's God speaking, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. God is angry. I wish I didn't have to say it, but that's what we read. This is what it is. Not only is God has the ability to be angry and occasionally is angry, we also know something very comforting, that God's anger or God's wrath is a righteous anger. If you go to verse uh, 3 of 15, uh, great and amazing are your deeds, the host sings. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not, who, they ask, will not fear God or fear the Lord and glorify your name? They cannot countenance such a thing that people would not want to, whether willingly or under compulsion, worship this Almighty God. Who, uh, for you alone, it says, are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. The wrath of God is here described as righteous acts. Not all of our angry outbursts and our actions are righteous. But when God is angry, there is a there is, it's based on his character, and it is a righteous, it has a righteous aspect to it. Where does this anger come from? Where, where is he located when this all happens? In verse 5, we say, and after this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. And then we hear about the rest of it. God is in the most holy place in heaven when he becomes angry. His anger is a righteous anger, and it comes from that, that, that special place of residence of where only holy things exist. And God's wrath arises out of his holiness. That's what we see also in, in verse 5. And this is why God's judgments are always true and just, because they're based upon someone who is entirely holy. And if he is entirely holy, then that which is not entirely holy to him must be eliminated or needs to be uh, uh, punished, needs to be uh, measured, uh, disciplined, and so on. This is what we learn here. And these two characteristics of true and just, always, if he is going to be true and if he's going to be just, will always demand a judgment. Are we listening? It will always demand a judgment. So God's wrath is a righteous anger, but God's uh, uh, anger, it it does not always, uh, it doesn't extend forever. There is a time when uh, he's angry, but there's a time when it's done, it's finished. In in chapter 15, verse 1, that is exactly what we read there. 
Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. That is about the most comforting text in God's word. This is the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. Praise the Lord. It will be finished. So he doesn't stay angry. God is not angry at everyone. If you go to 16.2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The wrath of God was inflicted upon those who had intentionally, purposely, persistently rejected him and chosen to follow the beast, the, uh, the Antichrist, whatever, whatever term you want to give to that, and turned and, and worshipped and took his mark, identified with him. Something we're going to learn about later here in this morning is this. There is, everyone has a mark. The question is, which mark have you got? Which, what identifies you? You are either a follower of God or you are a follower of Satan. I, I agree. You, you do not intentionally choose, if you're not a believer, to follow Satan. But in terms of how God views the world, that is the way it is. Either we have the mark of the beast or we have the mark of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, indwelling our hearts. And so we see that uh, God is not angry at everyone. And God's wrath, we see, is kindled by blatant disobedience of most of humanity. And he is, he is kindled by the suffering infected, in, inflicted upon his saints. If you go back to chapter 8 of uh, Revelation, and if I can find it, I have trouble paging these days. Uh, I cut my thumb one time, and it, there's scar tissue on my thumb, and so I have trouble paging the Bible. But I think I found it. Uh, uh, Revelation 8, 1 to 4. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, this is part of the seal judgments, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayer of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then if you go back to chapter 6, reading 9 to 11, see, I have trouble. Uh, 9 to 11, uh, we read this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. There should be in brackets there, pause and grieve. People have died for the name of Jesus who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they have borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That triggers God's heart. And he... Those who have died, he has resurrected. And they are present with him here when this last set of judgments occurs. This, uh, these plagues that God enacts here, this final act of his wrath, it, it resembles and reminds of something else that God did in the Old Testament. Uh, and that was when he, uh, he helped the, the, or heard the cries of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And he enacted ten plagues in that case to free the slaves, to grant them freedom. 
Exodus 2, 23 to 5 says, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. 400 years they suffered but it says that God knew their suffering. In chapter 6 of Exodus, we read, uh, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm, and what? with what? With great acts of judgment. Sound familiar? So here we have a reenactment of what God did for the Israelites then. And uh, something else we know about the wrath of God here is that God manifested his wrath through seven bold judgments, also referred to as plagues, that are poured out on the unrepentant people. But not all the people, only upon those who refused to worship him. You know your neighbors that uh, they're just really nice people? They'd, they'd probably uh, share their last piece of bread with you if needed. Uh, they, 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 they're just wonderful, good people, but they don't know the Lord. Do you know that in these times that we're talking about here, the blinders will come off. And you know that those people that seem so nice, they're going to take on the rage of the devil. And they're going to join this army and they're going to try to defeat God. The ones who are not worshiping God, God says, are worshiping the beast. So what are these plagues? Well, the first one is the plague of sores. Sort of self-explanatory. Uh, now we have a lot of treatment for sores. But at that time, they didn't. It was tremendously painful for anyone who had this. Then there was a plague, the plague of the sea turning to blood. And then you also have the, the third plague, which is the rivers and springs of water turning to blood. And this was, is, is quite gross. But the fact is that people died from uh, drinking this blood. Uh, then there is the plague of the deadly heat from the sun, which scorched and, and flared and, and, uh, and, and killed uh, many people. And then there was the plague of darkness. Have you ever been in the dark? How many of you have been in the dark? Raise your hand. How dark was it? Just say it out. How dark was it? How, how did you, Mark, how did you get into a situation where it was entirely dark? Uh-huh. Usually if you get a tour of a cave, they do this. At some point, they have you down there. There is no light source other than the, the ones they're using, and then they turn it off. That, friend, is dark. Then they ask you to put your hand in front of your face. You cannot see it. Now, can you imagine living in a situation where the entire world had no light? That's scary, guys. <laughs> I don't know, but I'd, I'd be scared. Uh, and so they experienced this darkness, symbolic of all that is bad and evil and wrong. Then there's the plague of the drying up of the river Euphrates, and then the final plague is this tremendous uh, earthquake and, uh, and hailstones uh, that we believe if they're 100, 100 pounds, again, is this symbolic? We, we're not entirely sure, but, but if that is true, if they really were hailstones exactly that weight, and that's what the Bible tells us, then they would be approximately 18 inches in diameter. That's quite a bit bigger than any known hailstone ever 
to have been experienced on earth so far. But I want to tell you something very sad. Despite all, uh, or good and sad, despite the enraged state that God is in when he pours out these uh, plagues, if the people at any point would have repented, God would have relented. Do they repent? You remember us reading it. Did they repent? No. They did not repent. Even in their misery of the judgments, they refused to repent. 16 verse 9, if I can find it right here. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God. They did not repent. Uh, people in, in, in the fifth plague, the people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. And then in 21, at the very end, it says, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Dr. Ed Neufeld, who's a New Testament prof, I believe, at Providence Seminary, was my professor many years ago, and he's also a pastor in Kleefeld. I listened to his sermon that he'd given a few years ago on this text, and he would, uh, uh, he would say this, whatever hell is, whatever hell is, it is not filled with people who want a second who want to turn to God and live for him. No, they want no part of him. They are getting angrier. They curse him. They do not like their pain, but they do not want to have any part of God. That's how come the wrath fell on them. Now, that's basically covers what happens in this chapter. But... I think that's a natural question to ask. Do we learn anything here about how things are going to unfold in the, in the well, what we refer to as the end times? As Pastor Andrews so correctly pointed out, the end times are not a precise term. They, they belong, uh, it, it really describes the period of time from Christ's resurrection till his coming again. And at various times, there, there is uh, tremendous suffering. And I believe that uh, during uh, closer to the time, uh, near the time of Christ's return, there will be extreme suffering, even more general than what uh, many experience even today. Dr. Neufeld uh, says, yes, there is a, a seemingly a, a pattern here that suggests certain things. And uh, I'll just follow that for the most part. Um, the first stage is those first five bowls. Those first five bowls. Uh, they cover the whole time from the time of Christ's resurrection uh, and the birth of the church to the second coming of Christ. And we, at our church, you and I as believers, all believers in the world, are in that stage right now. That's what I believe. Uh, now the second stage comes at the point of the sixth seal, uh, 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 bowl. This is the time when there's the gathering of the people for war against God. This, I believe, is still future, or at least partially future. It, who knows if it's already occurring, but it is not completed. It's, it, I still believe this is something future. Part of that uh, plague <clears throat> is that the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Well, that's not that unusual. I just saw on the news <clears throat> yesterday that the, the southern part of the Mississippi River is many feet below normal. And, and they're having trouble uh, transporting goods along the, uh, the Missouri River into the Mississippi River and down to New Orleans because the river is just so low. It's really weird. But what we're talking about here is not a, a, an occurrence of, of nature, of, of just the freak things that happen sometimes in droughts and so on. No, this was an act of God. Now, you ask, uh, so why, how is that a judgment that, that, a, that a river dries up? Well, 
let's, uh, I'll tell you this. The, the Euphrates was the largest river in that part of the world, uh, and it was also served as the boundary for the land given to Israel, and it was the eastern boundary for the Roman Empire. And this drying up of the river, again, is a reenactment of, of something that happened in the Old Testament to the children of Israel. In Exodus 14, 21 and 22, we're told that, that uh, there's, uh, Israel was in trouble. And uh, for, in, 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 under, uh, under Pharaoh. And so uh, he, uh, he, he let them go and then he chased after them and they were trapped at the Red Sea and God dried up so that they could walk and to freedom on dry land. Now, so the children of Israel were saved by the miracle of the water drying up or the, 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 the parting of the, the Red Sea. But here the opposite is really occurring. What we see here is that the river is dried up. Why? So that the army of the, the king of the east could cro successfully cross the Euphrates, re Euphrates to join all the other kings of the world and join the beast in their battle, in their war that they intended to fight against God. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Well, uh, one of the things we, we need to remember, that it, remember we are trying to see and, and understand how the people who read this would have understood this. Well, as Roman, uh, well, not necessarily citizens, all of them, but as liver, people who lived in the Roman Empire, they were very afraid of the king of the east, uh, the Parthians, and, and they were constantly afraid that they would come in and, uh, and uh, attack them from, from the east. So they would have immediately thought about that when, when, when uh, they read this letter from John. So there's, there, this is all part of something bigger yet than that. But it is that. People would have been alarmed to hear this. Uh, they would have been concerned. They probably would have thought perhaps this big battle that John is talking about is, is the Parthians. Uh, who knows? Um, and then uh, what happens after that is that uh, deceiving spirits are released by the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, which fool almost everyone in the whole world to follow the beast. And the kings of the world gather for war. You know, uh, we can get fooled some of the time, but we don't always get fooled. But it appears that at this particular time in history, God is going to remove the covering from people, and they are absolutely going to, full uh, line and sinker, are going to bite off big time on the deception of the beast. Most people will. Now, Re Revelation 19 and 20 uh, also describe this same scene, and the war between these two groups. The, the war is, consists of the hordes of the world who foolishly follow after the Antichrist and the camp of God's people and the beloved city. Now, I hope I can say this with confidence of everyone here this morning, that we're in the camp of God's people and the beloved city. That, that camp represents all believers present and at that day. And I have to pause right here and make a point of application. And I want you all to listen to this carefully. Which camp are you in? Which camp are you in? The invading army to war against God's people, or are you in the camp of God's people itself? Do you know that many people want to put off this decision? about identifying with Christ, to identify with him and to live for him and obey him and surrender our lives to, to him. It's the obvious correct thing to do, but many put off this decision. But I, I, I warn all of us here this morning 
that if you put off this uh, one day is coming when if you have not made a decision, it will be made for you. And you will die, if you're alive at the time, you will die from the hailstones. Why? Because you have chosen not to put on the mark of Christ. Nobody, nobody wants to be in that camp, in that group. Then we have the third stage. It's not really a stage. It's an injection. And in in verse 15, God himself injects his own message right into uh, this vision. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Lord says, this is really serious stuff that you're hearing about. It is, it is tremendously important that you get it. And he, and he says, and on top of that, my coming is going to be sudden. It's not going to be that you're going to have time later on to decide. You need to be prepared now and always living prepared, that you should endure. For If you have put on the cross, then you endure the cross. Uh, In 14 verse 12, we read, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Christ. Some of us in the past, some of us present, some of us in the future will die for identifying with the cross. But still, Jesus says, you need to be ready And if you have died, you will be raised up. You don't have to worry. God is the victor. Staying clothed means more than keeping your clothes on. It means that we refuse to compromise with the world. And we are living in days where we have to decide that. We, it, 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 friends, it's not even hidden anymore. You're going to have to decide. We must decide. We cannot compromise with the world. And it, it talks, uh, staying clothed means refusing to worship any other God than the God, the, fa- uh, the Father and the Lamb. God also says there's going to be tremendous pressure on even those who are believers to compromise, to cave to this tremendous pressure and turn against him. But he says, don't do it. Endure, remain faithful. Do not hold your life dear to yourself. Be prepared to face whatever comes and be ready because God will come and he will avenge the suffering of his saints and he's going to establish himself and he's going to demonstrate himself victorious satan is already defeated and he will ultimately be defeated in this battle that is yet to come this is why it's so important that you make a decision now because you don't know when he's going to be coming you don't even know when your time of death may occur We have recently uh, seen people who died very suddenly driving their cars down this highway. That was the end of their opportunity. And then there's the fourth stage. And this is the seventh bowl that comes, I believe, right after the the Lord's return or at the time of Christ's uh, return. The rebellion of God, we read here, becomes so severe and is going to increase until God's wine press is going to be filled. It's going to be full. And when it's full, God will act. And when it's full, he is going to say, as we read in verse 17, it is finished, it's done. It's over. That means that God's patience, which is huge, that patience will end. Are you concerned about the so-called Hitlers of the world, uh, uh, that they receive justice? 
when God's patience runs out, they will meet their just reward. And God's judgment against evil will fall upon the earth. And it is the, and it is the only just thing God can do. Now, if there is a rapture of God's people, which I <clears throat> personally believe there is, <clears throat> I think it occurs right as or just prior to God meeting out his judgment. Uh, chapter 19 lends itself to be understood that way, that uh, it says there that Christ will return with the saints on white horses. Now, for them to return with him, they would have had to have been resurrected, right? That is at least uh, the conclusion I have come to. And, and so I think there, there is that rapture that happens then. It doesn't, in my view, I once believed this, but I, I, I no longer believe that this rapture happens before the, the so-called seven years of tribulation. Uh, if there are seven years of tribulation, uh, there perhaps are, are resurrections throughout the re, uh, the, the, that period. I'm not quite sure, but, but the people will be uh, uh, there will be a rapture of the saints, the ones who are alive. Christ will defeat the kings of the earth, and the beast and the false prophet are captured and cast into the lake of fire. Now, some people believe that that's more or less it for the world, that that's sort of where things are summed up, and that's the end of things on earth. New heaven and new earth takes over, and that's it. Um, humbly, I will say that in my view, chapter 20 suggests that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ that it will occur, and that the saints that, that have been raptured and come with him uh, on his return are going to join him and sit on thrones, and they are going to rule. And at this period of time, the Antichrist, the, the beast, the, the, uh, uh, and the, the devil are all going to be in prison. And, uh, and that after the thousand years, and I'm going to stop here because... Uh, I want to allow Pastor Andrew to teach this text. He may have even a different point of view than me, but uh, that is the way I understand it. So what can we do, finally, to wrap up? What can we do about this other side of God? Well, the first thing is that we need to acknowledge that we need the other side of God. If we do not have that other side of God, we cannot be redeemed and we are lost. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, when you see these things beginning to happen, <clears throat> you should look up. And, and, I, and many insert the word rejoice there. For your redemption draweth nigh. I don't know that the Lord is trying to uh, bring emphasis to my sermon with this thing, but nevertheless, this is what I believe, is that we uh, need the wrath of God. And secondly, we don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God as believers who have put on the mark of Christ, not the mark of the beast. Uh, and for this, I do go to another text, and that is 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we have had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, there are people that believe that this text means we uh, Christians are not going to go through the, the tribulational period at all. They'll be raptured before that. I don't believe that's what's being uh, promised here. I think it's, it's simply promising us that when that ultimate act of judgment is going to come, God is going to, uh, is not, does not want us to go through that. So we're going to suffer uh, through these, this period of tribulation uh, along with many other people. But there will come a day when God will uh, raise up those who, who are, are there who he hasn't already resurrected. Um, remember, the wrath of God is his response to those who have persistently ignored him and worship the beast. But for these events to bring us joy, the ability to look up and rejoice that our redemption draweth nigh, we have to be prepared. If you are a believer, stay faithful to God and your profession in faith. If you have not 
taken on the name of Christ. Why have you not? Because I can tell you, about all the years I've studied God's Word, and, and, and many others have too, that there is a certainty that there will be judgment. Why would you not avail yourself of a way out of that? To be saved, to be redeemed. I would strongly encourage you, if you have never made that decision for Jesus, today could well be the day that you need to do it. There might not even be another day. We all need to get ready. Clean up. Don't live like the world. Why? Because God is on his way. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, this has been uh, both a difficult text and a most wonderful, glorious text. And I thank you for it. I pray that we would all take out of this message what we need, that we would follow after you, that we would decide to follow after you, that we would all be prepared and living faithfully for the Lord should you come while we are alive and should we go through some of these things, may we remain faithful and not give up. Praise you, Jesus, that you've provided the way that's possible. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.